What is the thing that we can all do to really support the growth and development of this child and raise their own belief in what's possible? The educational landscape has shifted. The social mobility is very segregated. Therefore, politically, the same thing is happening. The decisions you make around that child's education are of paramount importance. What can we do that would make educators' lives better? How do we make change that you can see in the classroom? They don't have summers off. They're not on a break. Most of the time that kids are not in school, teachers are still working. To impact our urban public schools, to impact the life of a child. We really wanted to elevate the profile of our city as well as elevate the opportunities that exist in education here. I'm Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Hi, everybody. This is Jen Maestas, and you're listening to Miss Education. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today. I'm really excited about the guests that we have on. This is a new adventure. We're doing this over Zoom. So if, yeah, this is new, um, but we're all here. I see everybody's face, and what's not new is that I did bring my wine. There. <laughs> So we'll do a virtual glasses up, cheers to everybody um, who's stuck at home just like us, but just making time to tune in. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, today is a really special day because we, Miss Education, is actually collaborating with a new teacher podcast Woo! called I Teach Therefore, and the co-hosts of that podcast are sitting right here next to me virtually. <laughs> so I'm going to give them a second to say hi to you guys. Hey, I'm Susanna. And I'm Kristen. Um, we're with I Teach Therefore, and just a quick plug, we are elevating teachers' voices and the teacher profession in general by letting teachers be the narrators of their own stories, including the many hats they wear on a daily basis that aren't typically thought of when you think of classroom work. I'm super excited about this because I do think I mean, I've always kind of thought this, that too many times teachers have, um, or people have a preconceived notion of what teachers do every day. Like, no, you're so lucky you get to play with kids all day long. You know, that kind of preconceived notion or like, oh, it must be so sweet to go to school and see all the babies and then come home. And it's actually a really hard, challenging job. And it's, I feel like it stirs up in a person lots of passions that were either dormant or you just never even knew existed. And I think that brings us to the point um, that Susanna was making about all of the different tasks and jobs that are wrapped up into the teaching profession that are things we do because we're paid to do them and or things we do because we see injustice or because we find a passion um, through the work that we're doing in our classrooms. And that brings us to our guest today, um, yes. because that's exactly um, what happened. Today, we're talking to Lisa Berry. So Lisa, do you want to say hi to everybody? Hi, everybody. I'm Lisa Berry. I have been teaching for starting my 25th year. And uh, for eight of those years, I have been teaching a special project. Mm -hmm. And I have to say, um, Lisa was the 2019-2020 AHISD Teacher of the Year, and she is the person I like always think of when I say that teachers have more than one job, and it's not just um, 
even like some of the more, I don't want to say patronizing things, but like soft jobs. She has a literal other job that I think is the most impressive thing and one of the most important things in our current Texas um, education landscape too. Thank you, Susanna. Thank you. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Lisa. Like, how did you get started? What's your why behind teaching in general? Behind just teaching in general, mm -hmm. my, my why was simply, um, I was never a struggler in school. School was fairly easy for me, but I remember those teachers who made things difficult, and I remember mostly the teachers who made things exciting for me. And I would take any extra papers they had at the end of the school year, and I would take them home, and I would go home in my garage, set up a school for all the neighborhood <laughs> kids, and I would teach my heart out. And it just fired me up because I felt, and, and I, I'm, I'm sure I probably taught them a few things, but I felt so <laughs> validated and so important and so helpful and nurture, you know, it's just the mother in you, the teacher in you, it just kind of came out and it, it just never went away. And I had these teachers that I, I, I kind of um, stepped from year to year and they just mentored me most of them without even knowing from second grade all the way through mm -hmm. my 12th grade year when I had an art teacher who said, um, I know that you don't want to take art, but there's no other place for you. <laughs> and so we're going to put you in art. And she made me believe I was an artist and yeah. I have a relationship with her today. And, and, you know, she still inspires me because she's one of those type of teachers who made you believe you can be anything you set your mind to. And th that was just so magical. And I thought if I could ever be even the smallest part of what those teachers were to me, that I would feel like I had done, I had done good in my life. Mm, I love that. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Um, and, and so in your years of teaching, I mean, this is kind of a loaded question because everything has changed now, but I was going to say, what have been the big shifts that you've seen, um, you know, pre COVID? Yes, because COVID is the big Because COVID's changed everything. I mean, nothing is the same. Nothing's well, ever going to be the same. No, and we don't even, we don't even have, uh, we don't even have the vision as to what's going to be tomorrow. So um, as far as th through my 25 year, almost 25 years of teaching, I would have to say I've, I've seen it change a lot from super structured to, you know, kind of giving them, giving students a little more leeway and choices. And I've actually seen it kind of come full circle in, in a lot of aspects in, in teaching. And I've seen things fail. I've seen things be successful. And mm -hmm. you kind of, as a teacher, you, you know, when you have this many years, um, you, you know, you might be old, but you also have a little bit of wisdom and that's kind of cool because you can always say, well, you know, I remember trying that before and I'm going to take a little piece of that with me and I'm going to take a little piece of this, this new mindset and I'm just going to put it all together in, in a way that I think I can make this work for the students I have because a lot of times you're, you know, as things change, as things change in education, a lot of times they also change from day to day with the kids you have. And from for year to year. Sure. You for sure. You just, I always say, put your finger on the pulse of education, but always have your finger on the pulse of each child, 
because they all have a different need and they have to, they, they have to have those needs met. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's so, you're not old one. (laughs) It's so invigorating to hear of quote unquote old, even though you're not people (laughs) in the profession, because as we know, teacher retention is such a struggle year after year with, I mean, roughly 30% of teachers leaving before their 10th year in the classroom. So it's obvious that you keep all of those kids at top of mind in your teaching, but what else has kept your spirit so strong and invigorated? Well, I, I feel like, um, and, and I, I'm, I'm going to kind of skip forward into a little bit about what I do that um, makes me a little bit different in the class. Tell us your other hat. (laughs) hat. I'm going to kind of step into that just a little bit to explain to you guys. Um, About 18 years ago, I was, I I had come back to teaching. I had taken a few years off because I had little ones at home. That does kind of give you a hint of my age, but (laughs) I I had come back to teaching and I was teaching fifth graders. And it was my first time to have kids that old. I'd always had younger ones and they were they were just really getting snarky with each other. And I noticed this one particular child was just kind of getting picked on a little bit more than the other kids. And, you know, I would say things I would, you know, there would be consequences, the the whole gamut that teachers learn, you know, you're following your district guidelines or whatever, but it really was not alleviating the situation. It would um, momentarily ease, ease up, for this particular child, but it really wasn't ending. And I just kind of had this flashback to my own high school where I I went to a very small high school. I started out in San Antonio in the Judson district, but then we transferred to a very small school um, south of San Antonio. And we had about 60 kids in our class and our junior year, our valedictorian to be took his life. Oh no. This, this is where oh I'm my gosh. and I, I, I apologize. I, I have a very hard time talking about it. I was not close to him. Um, I had a really good friend who was very close to him. He was just an amazing brain. Um, he, he, he preferred speaking to adults rather than the kids. And looking back now as an adult, I realized it was because we couldn't, we, we just could not satisfy his need to speak about, you know, higher level things. And the adults really were on his level and he was, he was different, as I said, and he um, took his own life from a lot of harassment and bullying was a huge part of it. And I really hadn't thought about it a lot until that moment in my classroom when that, Mm that kid looked at me for help and his eyes, it's just something I can still see his eyes. And it just reminded me of of the same day when I was in high school, when some harassment was going on and I just saw this poor kid look around the classroom for anybody to help him. And I turned my back. Man. And it's just, it's something that sticks with you forever. You don't get over this, but you can adapt and you can prevent. And so that's what empowers me is that I cannot, there's nothing I can do. 
there's nothing I can do. I can't go back. I can't make it better for his parents. I can't make it better for anybody in his family. I can only prevent future atrocities. Mm -hmm. That's my, that's my hope and my prayer. And so while I'm seeing this kid just kind of looking at me, I started really analyzing and kind of having flashbacks as to why did I sit there that day? Mm. Why did I say nothing? You know, I was 16. I mean, I, I had a voice. Why did I sit and say nothing? And so I really analyzed that. And I, I came up with several reasons, but one of the main reasons kids are bystanders is out of fear. Mm-hmm. Nobody wants to be sitting in the victim seat. And right. as long as someone else is in the victim seat, then the fire is not on your feet and you're safe. Mm-hmm. And it's a pretty cowardly thing to do but it's the safe thing to do. And so I started wondering two things. What can I do first for this child who is looking to me to help him? What can I do? This has to end because I do not want him to be another number in the system where he's lost his life because it gets so bad in a couple of years that he, he leaves this earth. I, I didn't want that for him. But then in the same token, how do you empower the kids who are standing by silently, scared to death, to be involved? Yeah. And, and how, how, do you, how do you alleviate both of those situations? And that's when I started teaching about the Holocaust. Yeah. Um, well, tell us about the role you've taken on um, in regard to getting Holocaust curriculum into Texas classrooms. And really quick, I don't want to bypass this. Thank you for sharing that. Why? Because it was yeah, oh my gosh. deeply vulnerable and very powerful. So powerful. And it's, I mean, you know, therein lies the solution. It's you educate people, you educate them. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's the field. Yeah. It's and you know, I really, what I appreciated most is like you capturing the moment in your classroom where all of those things came rushing back to you Mm -hmm. and I think that that alone speaks volumes about the kind of um, experiences teachers have in classrooms I think we spend a lot of time talking about the kinds of experiences students have in classrooms and we've done a lot of work on crafting what a student's experience in a classroom should look like Mm -hmm. but I don't know that we've spent enough time thinking through the experiences teachers have in classrooms when you are, you, you have lived your own life that's been shaped by your own experiences. And then you have, you run right into them through a student, right? You run right into Absolutely. something that you experience, proxy a student. Um, and I think you captured that beautifully, Lisa. And it actually, it's making me get emotional right now because I think like, what a difference you, te- what, what power teachers have to make that difference, right? And kind of what Susanna was saying is like, or I think it was Kristen actually that said that the solution is education, right? And yeah. so you, you you saw a gap and you, and it was, you saw it because you lived through that gap, right? You didn't know what to do when you were 16. And maybe you had an inkling of what could have been done, um, but you didn't have the tools to do it when you were 16. And so rather than let that same gap exist, However many years later, 
you 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 instead said like hey wait a second this is something that I can actually stand in the gap for mm -hmm. um and I want to I want to know more like about the bridge between standing in that gap and the holocaust because those are that I wouldn't have originally like like it's not um it's not super apparent like how it got to from standing in the gap for a student who's struggling and then like the holocaust so mm -hmm. that would be awesome I, I agree. And, and then I will get to the, the legislation, Susanna. And so, so what I did, and this is, this is, you know, tattling on myself a little bit about my own ignorance, because um, so I, I went to the counselor and I said, look, this is what's going on. And this is, it's not working what I'm doing. I'm following this policy. It's not working. This kid needs to be rescued. I need these other kids to have skills. What do you have? Can you come and do a lesson? And she said, you know, I have this little video. I just got it. I haven't really even previewed it. You need to preview it first. It's about Holocaust children. And I was like, yeah, well, I remember the Holocaust maybe a little bit. I remember there was an Anne Frank. That's about all. And so we just basically um, delved into the children of the Holocaust and each child in my class was given a child to do research on. And they had to basically become that child and they picked which child they wanted by you know oh this one kind of looks like my sister this one's the same age as my baby brother oh this one has my same last name I wonder if we're related and so they formed this connection with these children of the holocaust and that very first year 18 years ago we learned about the holocaust together and I can you quick right. pause right there because I want to highlight that moment for any any teachers, but really anybody listening, um, where I think what you did, Lisa, that's so powerful and stands out to me is you realized you had a problem in your classroom. You realized you didn't really know what the answer was and that the current solution, whatever was in place at, at your campus, wasn't working. And you had the sense of agency to go and find the right people. And like, it might not have worked even with that counselor right away. Maybe it would have been someone else, but I think that's a really, that agency right there is that point that I think it really speaks to me as a teacher, but I also would say, Lisa speaks to your students, your students knowing that about you. Um, you know, that's modeling the agency that we hope our students have too. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but. Right. No, 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 I, I love that, I, and I agree. Um, and a lot of times people don't realize, um, like Jen was saying, people don't realize the, the multi amount of hats we wear and, and the issues that we're dealing with. Like, yes, I need to get this taught today, but guess what? I have a kid in emotional meltdown and other kids who are not understanding, and I have to put a pause. I have to hit the pause button on our lessons today because this kid's life is worth more to me than this lesson right now. That lesson can be taught tomorrow. What we need to do today is stop this craziness and stop this judgment that's being um, pushed upon this child. Yeah. And so um, right, we have people going through the house. Just keep on going. <laughs> I zoom, no big deal. <laughs> <laughs> My son just got um, but anyway, put me back on track where I was headed. Well, you were um, mentioned how you realized that 
the lesson didn't need to move forward that day because the real lesson of the day wasn't actually that content. And gosh, I mean, don't we all know, had you proceeded with the schedule as planned and gone through that content, no one would have absorbed it anyway, because what mm-hmm. would have been mind was the real issue at hand. Absolutely. And absolutely. And, and a lot of times we as teachers, and it's hard to see everything, but we as teachers, you don't know sometimes that little notes being passed around is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Mm-hmm. But I, I would like to say I, I run into this, this young boy that was in my class. I run into him from time to time um, in the town where I live. And he's, I would say he's probably 30 now, well-adjusted. And I, I, when I see him, I just, I'm just like, that's so awesome. Because I don't know what would have happened mm-hmm. had we not just learned how to stand up for somebody who's in need. Mm-hmm. And um, so as, as we started delving into the Holocaust, so the years would just, we would just kind of add on to it every year. And there was this one particular child of the Holocaust and they came on these little cards and they would go to the internet and research them. There was one particular one who um, the kid came to me and she said, oh my gosh, mine lived and she's still alive and she has a website and she wrote a book. And I said, oh my gosh, let's order the book. So we ordered the book and then we called her and you know, long story short, long story short um, 16 years ago, we had um, Dr. Inga Auerbacher visit my fifth graders for the very first time. And we've done it as a surprise to the fifth graders every single year. And, oh every my God. and so we, you know, we look at the presentation of this, ch- you know, the child does her presentation. This is my Holocaust survivor. She lived, this is where she came. And it's so cute. And we're going to read her book and we read the book and then in she walks and they, they literally amazing. cry, I, they cry, they hold her, they bring her gifts. I, I mean, it's just so emotional to watch them, you know, because they, they go up and they tell her what happened to you when you were little. I'm so sorry. I wish you didn't. I wish you weren't hungry. I wish you didn't go to a concentration camp. I wish I could go back in time and save you. And, you know, she always tells them, it's okay. I'm okay now. Like, you can live through terrible things. And what a great lesson she is to all these kids. Oh, my gosh. And these kids, some of them are at home thinking, my life is over. My parents are getting a divorce. Um, You know, there's something going on in my family that's tragic. And then she walks in surviving the Holocaust, three years in a concentration camp. And she's there to testify to them you can learn to love each other. You don't have to hate. And what one tiny word of hate can multiply into is very scary. So stay away from it. You Mm -hmm. can persevere. Look at me. I persevered. And so what a beautiful lesson she has for them. And so that's what we've been doing in the classroom for since 2004 was her first visit. My daughter was in fourth grade and now she's on her fifth year of teaching. Woohoo, that's yes. amazing. Wow. And you know, it may, it sparked this other thought in my mind and it actually I have this I've been thinking on this for a little while and it just keeps resurfacing. And I don't know if it's because I've already been noodling on it that now I see it everywhere. Um, but this idea of like these intergenerational conversations oh, and, yeah. and how like how impactful that is. And I know you started um the conversation saying like it's putting a number to the years you've been doing this 
And I like to sit here and pretend that I know nothing about that. But this is actually my 20th year as well. Um, oh, so we're not, <laughs> we're not that far off. No, um, we're not. <laughs> um, but I, I and, and in these years, like in my 20th year, you know, um, I also have been thinking like, gosh, how has 20 years gone by? I don't even, it's hard to register that. I have been doing this for so long. And I, like you, have students who are now in their 30s um, from my first year of teaching. And I taught fifth grade, too. Aww. And we still are in contact. And when they send me pictures of their children or I run into them at school with their children, I am blown away with, like, what happens in a 20-year span for a person, right? Like, what, where was I 20 years ago? And look at all the things I've done in the last 20 years. And at first, that really freaked me out. It freaked me out. Um, you know, my grandmother passed away three years ago. I'm very close to both my parents, and they are both still healthy and with me. But my grandparents, they had, my parents had me when they were in their teens. So it was really my grandparents who raised all of us, right? And when I lost my, my grandmother, I really felt like, oh my gosh, I'm not a kid anymore. Like, now I have to be a grown-up who's going to who's going to say to me, I'm Heatha, come here, let me fix that. You know, like, it's not that little piece of me is not there. And I, I mourned that. It was more than grieving the de her death. It was grieving, like, my sense of being young. Like, I'm not, I don't feel like I'm the young professional that I used to be. And that was an adjustment. But now um, I, I do feel like, gosh, what a gift it is to have somebody who has years of experience and years of like wisdom experiential wisdom right and yeah. and to hear you talk about like having her come into your classroom and impart that wisdom to a new generation who who have their own struggles um and we always seem to think our struggles are the hardest struggles um and and then you and then you meet someone else who who's lived through more and who's lived longer and and it and it gives you a different perspective so I just was going to say that I appreciate your experiences and the opportunity you gave your, your students to hear from somebody from a different generation. I think that's so important. Thank you. Thank you. And it's, it's always amazing to me because when she walks in, you know, she's 81 now. And when she walks into the room, they don't see an 81 year old woman. They <laughs> see a little girl and, you know, because yeah. they, they just see this little girl, you know, cause from age seven to 10, she was, she was in a concentration camp. So they see this little girl and they see this girl who, you know, would cry to her mother at night. Like I'm not full yet. I still need more food. And her mother would have to go and steal. And that's what they see. And I love the fact that they see that cause that means they have connected and to connect a 10 year old with an 80 year old. I mean, that it's magical. It's magical how that happens. And I really have to say, like, there's nothing I do. We read the book and the magic happens with those children. They just embrace it. And because um, people always say, well, what do you do to make, um, I really, it's, it is not so much some formula that I use in the classroom. It's just the exposure. And then the kids run with the information. Yeah. And, and that's what makes it so beautiful. Yeah, and it's, it's that perspective building, too, that you know sticks with them, but takes someone who admires that a fifth, year, a fifth grader can, um, you know, reach these heights of thinking and make those connections and 
the way that they see her as a little child, I think that's something that I hope sticks with them because all we all are are the little child versions of ourselves. We've just learned to build up all these layers and all these walls, you know, to make it in life. But at our core, that's who we are. That It's just such a powerful story. And, you know, I think adults really underestimate the um, ability of children to deal and grapple with these challenging pieces of our history, even recent history. So what do you say to adults who, you know, come at you saying that the curriculum is too dangerous, quote unquote, for students or quote unquote inappropriate? Um, How do you handle that? Well, the, the very first year I, I did the, we did the research projects, <clears throat> I had one parent say, Holocaust, really? Ten-year-olds? Don't you think that's a little graphic? And, and I said, well, we're not delving into the graphicness. That part they did on their own. Mm-hmm. My, my um, uh, lesson for, my, my assignment for them was tell this child's story somebody judged them as not good enough, as inferior, and did not want their story to be told, but we're gonna pay homage to them, and we're gonna lift them up, tell their story, tell their story. And so each year we have a few days of kind of like learning, how do you tell the story without, you know, when you, how do I pull up concentration camp, Miss Barry, and explain that? Well, there, there are ways to um, explain that without a graphic photograph or a graphic video. Now, do they go home and start searching the internet with their parents and bring books from the San Antonio Public Library to the school? Oh, yes, they do. But that's amazing. And, and are they graphic? Yes, they are. And they can share them with me. And if they want to share them with another kid, they have to have permission. But really and truly, the graphicness has never become an issue, even though I have anxiety every year that one graphic photo could shut it down. So I'm just, I'm very um, adamant about this. The theme is tolerance. Yeah. And not about exploiting the like sensationalism of it. That's not what it is at all. Right. And, not, and who wow. has the worst story? You know, it's not right. who has the worst story. It's, it's let's honor all yes. uh, You're such an amazing. What, yeah. what an amazing lesson to be learning today. When yeah. you think about. The, the even the racial tensions that exist in our nation today and the and the injustices that are continuing to happen today it's it's a little bit overwhelming it is and you know we delve into a lot of different um, cultures and and different religions through just through reading um, novels in my classroom and I choose a very multifaceted novels that we will be exposed to different types of people on purpose because the more you are exposed, the less you think that that's odd or different from you or, yeah. or should be judged. And so we, you know, we, we read a, a, a novel this past year about Chinese immigration. Um, we read all through Black History Month. We do a Cesar Chavez um, um, unit along with the Holocaust and just all types of different people. We do the Trail of Tears, a novel on the Trail of Tears, honoring the, the natives and, and, and the, the students really start to understand because I, I explain it to them this way. 
if I walked into the classroom one day and I was painted blue as a Smurf and I started teaching, would I teach any different? And they'd say, no. Would I love you any less? Well, no. Would you love me any less? Well, no. Well, then why would the color of skin matter to anybody else? Why would any other color matter? And I said, the only thing, when I said I'm blue, everybody starts laughing. I said, oh yeah, now y'all, y'all are all, you know, uh, using your imagination and you can see me blue now. So you're kind of giggling. I said, but in reality, I wouldn't be any different. Mm. I would teach the same way. I would love you just as much and you would love me just as much. I wouldn't be any different other than my skin color changed. So yeah. that, that kind of is an example to them as the, to the craziness of being judgmental over skin color. Mm. And yeah. they're, really yeah. good, they're really good about you know, saying, well, you know what? That is crazy. That is crazy. Why would anybody do that? There's a lot of people that do yeah. that. And so, yeah, yeah. I, I learned a new phrase this year and maybe it's just me being naive and I didn't know this already, but I learned a new phrase in Lakesh, which is a Mayan phrase that means you are the other me. And to me, that embodies a moral code that is just supposed, it's the way it's supposed to be to think that you are me we are the same person um and what you care about are the things i care about you want health and well-being and access to resources and space to be who you are and to take care of who you love and that is what every person yeah. on this earth wants there's no difference in that rising tide lifts all ships yeah love it i love it Lisa, what did it mean to you um, when that policy was passed in Texas? Um, or even just, I because we teach in the same district, when we got um, the emails from our administration with all the great resources about uh, Holocaust Remembrance Week, what did that mean to you and the work that you've done for it? Well, it's, it's still very, very surreal. Um, it's just so surreal to me. It means so much, though, because... Every year that I've taught this, I get so excited in my classroom when I see them changing and when I see their eyes open and when I see them shed a tear for someone else. And, and I always say, you know what, it's, it's okay. If you didn't, you know, shed a tear, you, you, you wouldn't be human. And so to, to, to be a human, we shed tears and that's okay. And so a lot of kids are very, very worried about being emotional in front of each other, but we wipe that right out of the classroom in the very first couple of weeks because it's emotional, it's emotional stuff. There's, there's things that are, that come into the classroom that are very emotional and they see me get emotional. And so it's okay. So we all let our guards down. And so when we are, when we're that excited in the classroom every year, I invite administration and other teachers come in and watch today. You will be so amazed. And I want to share that with everybody. So um, the previous district I worked in, I went and I, I would take all the reading classes. They would all come in my class. I would teach that to 90 kids at a time, 60 kids at a time, just depending upon how many kids we could fit in the classroom. And you know, now Alamo Heights, I'm, I'm here five years now. And 
we are, we are teaching it to every single fifth grade class and our sister school, Cambridge, those teachers are so amazing and help me with resources and suggestions and, and, you know, they, they keep it going. So we've got sometimes 20 classrooms of fifth graders that are having those aha moments, but I wanted more. Yeah. I always wanted so much more. How, why end there? And what, you know, people say, well, why don't you, why don't you write it and sell it and all this? And I'm like, well, that, that takes a lot of time and I'm, I'm kind of busy with my other job doing it. So um, when the bill was passed, it was like, finally, finally other people will get to experience this beautiful thing that happens with these kids when they learn that a perpetrator is usually somebody in pain and they need help. And wow. a, a, a victim is a victim because there are too many bystanders around them. Mm. And if you, one person could change from being a bystander to being an upstander and gather your group of people around you and make that upstander group bigger and safer, because I always say, don't go at it and put yourself at risk, but you get yourselves a, a, a huge group of, of upstanders then you have eliminated the victim and you yeah, have yeah. eliminated bystanders. Cause let me tell you, I know it's awful to be the victim who thinks there's nothing left to do, but end your life. But it's also pretty terrible living with being a bystander yeah. and knowing that you could have opened your mouth and spoke up and you did not. And you take that with you. And so you have I, to take something negative and turn it into something positive like survivors of the Holocaust have done. Yeah. I feel like that is in the same vein as so many of the people who have gone and protested. And I know that that is such a, a hot, heated discussion amidst COVID. But I have to say, too, that I feel like the time for bystanding is over. Yeah. It's just, it's just over. We can't just idly sit by and watch inequities in our, in our time. Like when we talk about the Holocaust and we think of it in, in a historical context, but there are things that are happening right now today that people are just watching happen. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, to, 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 to think that, um, you know, this bill passed um, um, 13 months ago, the bill was signed into, into law. And, you know, not every single school observed yeah. that week this, this past year. And I don't even like, it's wrong and hurts me that this bill didn't already exist. I have friends that teach in other states that um, when I was sharing about the work that you've done, Lisa, were like, I'm sorry, what? That, that, that work needed to be done? And it's, it's even that um, naivete of just like recognizing that history is whitewashed and glossed over or not mentioned at all in America, that's hurtful too, you know? Um, like, it just... It needs to change. And I think that's 
probably like the most beautiful work that you do in the classroom, Lisa, is embrace the young people to be agents of change. Like when, when you teach what it means to be an upstander in that context, we're creating spaces for young people to do better than we've done, which that's the beauty of public education. Mm -hmm. And, you know, SEL is such a hot topic buzzword these days, and it lives alongside our current understanding of how we develop and hold knowledge in schemas, and what better way to teach SEL than in this highly contextualized, embedded nature that actually brings life to it and gives it meaning and purpose, and like Jen was saying, connecting now, connecting it, you know, to modern day issues that we're experiencing and that kids are living through so that they don't continue to repeat themselves in future generations. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And you know, um, our, our students, we, we, we don't really, we kind of challenge them each year to just, let's take it further. Let's take it further. And we, we, we designed t-shirts to raise awareness for tolerance. We sell them and we take the, um, the proceeds for all those cells, for the cells of the t-shirts, and we, we give back. And so the kids get to see the fruits of their work. They get to see, oh, I have changed and I am seeking out, I'm going out into the community, I'm spreading this, this doctrine of tolerance, I'm spreading this, these lessons of tolerance, I, I want to make sure everybody knows about it. And, you know, they're inviting people to come to the school and see a a real life Holocaust survivor, but they are taking the proceeds of their, their efforts and putting it back where with children and with Holocaust people. So to this, to date, and I'm going to be a little iffy on my numbers, but we have given back to um, the children's advocacy center and the Jewish Federation of San Antonio Holocaust Memorial Museum, as well as um, the students in Missouri who lost their schools when the tornadoes came through, we have given back um, over $16,000 put back into, into, because the kids said, I said, well, what are we going to do with the profits? Well, we're, we're learning about the Holocaust. It should be something to do with the Holocaust, but we're also learning about kids. Let's help Holocaust, let's help kids. So that's where they went with it. They, they send it to help with the, you know, San Antonio's Holocaust Memorial Museum to, just to get exhibits, to keep exhibits mm-hmm. you know, work, working to, you know, help with getting docents in and teaching lessons. And then to give back to kids who are in need. We even took kids on a field trip to the advocacy center and let them see, this is the room with the double mirror where they interviewed children who've been taken from their homes. And, and they just, they had such this sense of, of importance when they realized our money went and bought backpacks and pajamas and teddy bears for those children to hug and snacks for them to have while they are finding a home that's safe for them. And they, mm-hmm. they, were, they knew how important the work was that they did and it's so amazing that they can take this lesson and it just skyrockets and then comes right back to them and they're so proud and I'm so proud of them 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I want to go back to your, um, one of your earlier comments, because I feel like it could be redolent of how a lot of teachers might be feeling right now in the current state of events. You mentioned how 18 years ago, you and your students were learning this together. We're learning this at the same time. And I just, I so admire your ability to put yourself in a vulnerable way and just, you know, drop your pride, drop your ego at the door. And so if, you know, I'm a teacher listening to this right now and thinking, gosh, I want to take this and, you know, redesign it for my own classroom, my own kids with today's current events, like where do they begin? I know, you know, you gave the example of speaking to the counselor, but what, what did that internal work feel like? How has it evolved over the years? Can you just take us through your thinking through it all? Well, like I said, it started with children of the Holocaust, but it's evolved into um, all ethnicities and all cultures. And I mean, I say all, but I'm sure we, we, we miss a few. But each year, you know, we get new students into the school and they're like, hey, well, what about, what about my people came from so, such and such? Can we totally. learn? About and yeah. so we embrace, we, I'm like, you know what? I don't know anything about that. Let's learn it. So yes. I, I think the fact that... Um, you you let them know that you're you're learning too and it's okay it's okay to admit i don't know mm-hmm. it's and it's okay so then then their guard is kind of down so well yeah. Spain doesn't know anything about that yeah. so they're going to learn let me bring something in to teach her so they see that they we can kind of teach each other and so there's there's this there's this um thought i i always put out there that our our differences we should learn to respect each other's differences, but we actually, it should be taken a a step further and not just respect, but learn from them and embrace them. And that's a huge huge step up from, well, you know, acknowledging they exist. Yes. Versus, Hey, teach me about that. Yes. You know, one thing I learned, that I did not know. And I grew up, I, I was born in San Antonio. I've, I've lived in San Antonio my entire life. And it wasn't until the last probably four or five years that I recognized the um, historical background and the systems that were created in San Antonio. Our, I think our system works exactly how it was designed to work. Right. And so I think that, um, you know, I did not understand or know even that San Antonio is the most economically segregated city in our entire nation. Mm -hmm. And that those economic segregations began, they were rooted in racist culture, you know, and in redlining neighborhoods and in, in demarcating some neighborhoods as dangerous and failing to thrive. And, um, you know, that those, and, and although explicit racism became outlawed, implicit racism took its place and those implicit things there we're still living through the ramifications of those and that is not far from what was happening in nazi germany and even though those were very explicit examples of things that happened there are still some implicit implications that are that we are still navigating today and if we don't take time to uncover that and and admit that i don't already know like i this is not something I, like you, never struggled in school. I, I, you know, I feel like um, in many ways, 
my family is the American dream. I feel like I am my ancestors, my grandparents' wildest dream. They came to this country to get an education and to have a better life. And I exemplify that. But I'm the outlier. It doesn't happen that way for everybody else. Like when I think about my, my grandfather's story, you know, he was a migrant farmer and he joined the military and he broke a cycle um, of poverty that he lived in. But he was one of, of many children and he's the only one that that happened for. And I, I, you know, I have grown up my whole life thinking through bootstrapping and, and hard work will get you and, and hard work will, will help you achieve the American dream. And I just don't think that that's true in every, in every case. Um, I don't believe that anymore. And I didn't come to that realization until well into my late thirties, early forties, you know, and, and I do think that um, to Kristen's point, like it's, it's one of those things that as, as grownups and teachers and professionals and veterans, veteran teachers that we we have to be willing to say like I didn't I didn't know that but I'm willing to learn it and I'm willing to try to make it better like not just leaving the learning to be it that putting the action behind it and I think you create um ways for your students to do that Lisa I wanted to touch back on um the fact that we, you know, we had the very first Holocaust Remembrance Week this past January and, and several schools did not participate. And, you know, I, 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 I've actually talked to some districts, so why, why didn't you? Well, mm-hmm. we just didn't have the time or, well, we didn't really know what to do. But, you, you know, the um, Texas Holocaust Genocide Commission website, that's, that's where you go. And it's a free account. And you can always go to the San Antonio Holocaust Memorial Museum site. They have all they have all of the leveled readers and you you can take a lesson and teach it in 10 minutes and kind of talk about it the rest of that week it doesn't have to replace uh, one of your teaks it's it's in addition to and i i don't take any of my teaks out of of what i'm supposed to teach i lace these lessons throughout all year long what book can I read? I'm going to cover these certain teaks today, but you know what? I'm going to also ask them, can you identify in the book we were reading today? Can you identify who the perpetrator is? Who do you think it is and why? And can you identify some bystanders yet? And why do you think that they are choosing to be a bystander? You do not have to um, carve out an extra piece of time to observe Holocaust Remembrance Week. And I mean, if for nothing else, it's just to honor those people who suffered and died. Mm-hmm. And those children in your class, whether they're five and six years old or they're 18 in your high school, they're going to take those lessons with them and it's going to be meaningful to them. Read them a book, a yeah. book. It's so simple. I know Susanna, you had um, a wordless book this year and your kids did amazing work with a wordless book and it wasn't graphic. It wasn't about holocaust even it was just about tolerance and getting them prepared for being up to years yeah the book was called i walk with vanessa for anyone that's interested in using it in their classrooms um but yeah lisa i want to say like uh literacy and social studies and our history social emotional learning and social justice are not and shouldn't be 
separate things. In fact, Dina Simmons, um, she's an educator and an author and an activist. She says that social emotional learning without context is actually like harmful. It can backfire. And um, I think you're so right. I mean, it's not taking all these separate pieces. It's putting them together because that's what the classroom should be about. And that's how meaningful learning happens. Yeah. And it's such a needed reminder that TEKS, Common Core, whatever your state standards are, are your floor, not your ceiling. I mean, they're like your baseline. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that reminder. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Lisa, if you could finish this sentence, I teach, therefore, how would you phrase it? Well, I, I thought about that last night. <laughs> I was thinking, you know, um, I teach, therefore, I am cultivating new mindsets of empathy and kindness in students for generations to come. That's really my hope and my prayer is that their mindsets have changed. And even if they don't look like they are encompassing it yet, it's, the, it's there. And a lot of times in, you know, I have had fifth graders and they don't look like they've really quite gotten this whole tolerance thing and, you know, love thy neighbor type thing. But I see them years later and they'll tell me, oh my gosh, I've taught that to everybody I know. And not very long ago, um, you know, I, I don't live in San Antonio anymore. I was born and raised there for most of my life, but I, I actually live in Seguin and we have a small newspaper and they, there was an article that came out and I am reading through it one day and it was written by one of my former students and she was writing about the impact of education on her and she didn't write about college she didn't write about high school she wrote about collecting pennies and selling t-shirts to raise tolerance and meeting a holocaust survivor when she was 10 years old and how it will never leave her that, that is so fulfilling to me that she was able to take that that's what i'm wanting i want them to take that with them and and give the ripple effect you know, spread that to whoever will stand still long enough to listen to it because it's so meaningful and so powerful and it's so helpful in a world where we really need tolerance and empathy and kindness and no words of hatred. I, I always say to the kids, you know, Hitler started out with name calling he didn't start rounding up people and sending them to concentration camps. He started with name calling. How many people around you have started with name calling? I watch it on social media every single day. It's despicable. And stop the name calling. Just be open to know that some people are going to have a, an opinion different from yours. And that's okay. You can embrace, you can learn from, but it doesn't mean it's going to take away your, your beliefs. You know, I can be around people of a different religion and it doesn't threaten the religion I was raised and born in and, and, and embrace now. 
it just makes me understand and be more open to people who are different from me. I wish that more teachers, when they say the words, I am a teacher, they would feel all of the, you know, depth and beauty behind what you just described. Cause that's yeah. Again, I go back to like the generational thing, right? Like our impact, it's not about today. It, it it's, it's, we are impacting the next generation. Um, and, and then they are going to take charge of the generation that follows them. And that's power. That's that is, it is, it is. And, you know, with, with the passing of, of Senate bill 1828, I am really hoping that more schools jump on the bandwagon this year. I mean, there are so many teachers, me included, that would, I, I would travel to your school and, and do it just a little mini lesson for each grade level. I would do that. And, um, just to get it started and, and to give you um, an idea because it may be, maybe it's just overwhelming, but I really feel like if all of those, you know, 1300 districts in the state of Texas, and I hope my numbers are right. I, I hope that, you know, more of them embrace that and really put some effort into that this year because we need it more than anything now. Yes. We need to teach these kids that, I know on TV and on social media, you are seeing adults act hatefully, but there are consequences to that. Yes. And you can choose a different path. I tell the students every day, so today you made a mistake, no big deal, unless you are going to make that mistake again tomorrow. Tomorrow's a brand new day. Tomorrow is, I get to be a better person today than I was yesterday. What a great world we live in where we can start new each day and people will be forgiving and accepting of us. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that, um, you know, Hitler just began with the name calling because I do think that people underestimate um, actions and view them as innocuous and they're not. And I think that there are ripple effects from everything. And so just you know, focusing on humanizing the struggle and the people and the stories to, so that they're not repeated. And, you know, even I, I hate that the week was not celebrated by, or honored rather by all districts. And again, that's something that could be seemingly innocuous, but it's just, it's not, um, it's really not. And it, I think it really parallels the idea um, that a lot of people are learning about right now, which is that it's not enough just to be not racist. You have to be anti-racist. And yes. you are back to Susanna's original comment. You are embodying and showing the agency that is just a really incredible teacher and a really incredible person. Mm -hmm. I'm just so, so happy that we have you on here and that you are out there just doing really impactful work. Thank, Thank you, you so much. So much. Thank you. Really, truly. Um, you know, I think sometimes we don't get enough thank yous. So yeah. you can wrap everybody else's thank you into, into ours. When we say thank you, thank you for making time to talk to us. But more importantly, thank you for the work that you're doing and you have done. Mm -hmm. Thank you And we're so, so lucky to have you in classrooms. Oh, thank you so much. You guys, thanks so much for the invitation. It has been, it's, it's an honor to sit in the same virtual room with you. And I, I'm impressed with, 
with all of your work. Su Susanna, don't, don't knock yourself. You're a, you are <laughs> one of those who everybody, everybody knows you are a go-getter and you have the best ideas, such a creative, such a creative teacher. And a lot of times, you know, she'll come to me and say, Hey, let's do such and such. And I'm like, Oh, wow. That's beyond my realm of thinking. And then I have to really, I have to really like, I have to really, okay, you can do this. You can do this. And, and I've learned so much from her. And so you, you never get so many years of experience that you can't learn from another teacher. And you have to leave those doors open because I learn from my team every day. I learn from my coworkers like Susanna every day. I, I mean, it, and just leave yourself open to it because those are our best lessons are our neighbors around us. And they, you know, sometimes can teach us the best things without even realizing it. So I appreciate you guys inviting me. Thank you, Susanna. Oh my gosh. You know, before you came on, Lisa, I was describing you as the person that says yes to me. So it's a two way street, you know, I mean, gosh, that I love collaborating with you. Thanks for coming on. I don't know if we're going to get to do that this year, but it's been oh okay yeah you know we are gonna find ways to make it work I don't care what happens we are teachers and therefore we are innovative we will that's make right it. that's right and we will make this a new recurring connection I'm sure yes wow. yes thank you so much you guys thanks for spending your afternoon with me thank you oh thank you so much love the work you do I'm Jen Maestas and you're listening to Miss Education 